Oh, would you bow with me and pray before we start? Thank you, Lord, for an amazing evening, an amazing reminder of the gospel that we just had, that your blood has washed away our sins, Lord. And tonight we gather together to remember that day when you shed your blood on our behalf. Lord, we are sinners undeserving of anything, and yet in your kindness and in your love you have fulfilled your Father's plan to sacrifice yourself on our behalf and to present an offering which only you can. And we thank you that because of that we can stand in that freedom and we can celebrate today. Lord, I pray that tonight as we go and we recount these events in our hearts and in our minds, that we would once again be reminded that you are the innocent one, that you are the righteous one who was given over to death by your nation, by religious leaders, by Romans, but ultimately by the Father, so that you could accept us and forgive us. I pray that you give me grace to take us through this amazing passage of Scripture, and as we walk through, Lord, that we would once again be amazed at the spotless Lamb of God, who silently took upon Himself all that was due to us. And may we praise You for that. And then as we come to communion table afterwards, Lord, may our hearts be full of joy that our Savior has redeemed us and has saved us. Bless us in Your Word, and we pray that the Spirit would work mightily in our hearts. For Your glory, I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 18. And this evening I want to bring you a sermon entitled, Pilate on Trial Before Jesus. I want to take you back about 2,000 years ago to the events that transpired before Jesus' crucifixion. We know that before Jesus was condemned, he went through at least six different trials. As we read in John chapter 18, Jesus was arrested by a Roman cohort, which is about 600 soldiers. And uh, they bring him to the house of Ennis, and that was the first trial. If we harmonize the Gospels, the four accounts that we have, we'll see that you have three religious trials first, which were followed by three civil trials. As we read in John chapter 18, verse 12, the first trial was before Ennis. If you look at John 18, 12, it says, So the Roman cohort and the commanders and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and brought him and led him to Ennis first. Now, who's Ennis? Ennis is the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who is a high priest at this time. Although Ennis was the former high priest, uh, he's still the power broker in Israel. Now, history tells us that Ennis was removed by a Roman governor in A.D. 15, this man was a proud, greedy, and ambitious man who profited much from the business which they established at the temple by selling sacrificial animals and having the money exchanged. You know that Jesus disrupted his business on a few occasions when he cleared the temple, so obviously that did not sit well with Ennis. So the first person that tried Jesus because they brought Jesus to his house was Ennis. Now from that, we know that Jesus was led to the house of Caiaphas, which was the second trial. Look at verse 24 of John 18. It says, So Ennis sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Caiaphas is the high priest at this time. And Matthew tells us that during this night, when Jesus was brought to his house, there were elders, there were priests, and there were scribes gathered together at his house. You remember that this was the trial where they were trying to find a false witness who would bring some kind of accusation against Jesus that would condemn him to death. And no matter what they brought, nothing would stick because he was innocent. According to the Gospel of Matthew, at the climax of that trial, in Matthew 26-63, Caiaphas says, I adjure you by the living God that you tell us whether you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, you have said it yourself. Nevertheless, I tell you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Now this was exactly what they wanted to hear because after Jesus said this, they condemn him for blasphemy. And when they condemn him for blasphemy, they say you are worthy of death. Now remember, all of this is taking place in the middle of the night. 
I mean, this violates every statute against injustice. You cannot just go grab a guy in the middle of the night, bring him to your house, bring a few of your buddies together, find a few false witnesses, and condemn him to death. It's illegal in every society, including this one. And yet that is exactly what they did. They condemned Jesus to death, and then we're told that they beat him and they mock him. Matthew 26, 67 says they spat in his face and beat him with their fists. And they slapped him and said, prophesy to us, you Christ, who is the one who hit you? Now that was the second trial. And after they were done there, we come to the third trial. The third trial was before the Sanhedrin. It's about 6 o'clock in the morning by now. And Jesus is led to Sanhedrin, which is basically a supreme court of Israel. Matthew 27, 1 says, Now when the morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people conferred together against Jesus to put him to death. It's about 6 o'clock. They all gathered together. And with a few notable exceptions, they all officially condemn Jesus to death. Now notice these first three trials, they were before the religious leaders. Annas was the power broker. He was the father-in-law of Caiaphas. Caiaphas is the high priest. And Sanhedrin is the religious, are the religious leaders of the nations of Israel. And here we come to our text, which begins in verse 28. In John chapter, 28, uh, chapter 19, beginning in verse 28, we read of the next three trials, or at least two trials in this passage. And the third one is mentioned in Matthew. And this trial is before the civil authorities. The first trial is going to be before Pilate. Then Pilate will send him to Herod, and then send, so Herod will send him back to Pilate. So those are the three trials. The first one we'll read, of which we'll read in just a second, they bring him to Pilate, and Pilate interrogates Jesus, and he pronounces that he is innocent. I find no guilt in this man. Later on, as he finds out that Jesus is actually from jurisdiction of Herod, he sends him to Herod, and you remember that that's the trial where Jesus did not say a word. They mock him because Herod was not interested in justice. Herod was interested in satisfying his own curiosity about Jesus, right? Jesus did not say a word to him. So they mock him, they beat him, and they send him back to Pilate. And then you have the sixth trial. What I want to do tonight is I want us to focus on this fourth and the sixth trial. And specifically, I want us to focus on the man who presided over this trial, namely Pilate. Every gospel mentions him, and every gospel tells us that this was the man who signed the death warrant for Jesus or his verdict of death. That's why I tell you that this is a trial which we often think of Jesus standing before Pilate. But as we dig into this text, you will see that it is actually Pilate who is on trial before Jesus. You see, Pilate stood there before Jesus and he had a choice to make. Is he going to stand with justice and he's going to release Jesus? Or is he going to try to preserve himself and condemn an innocent man to death? And as you will see in this text, as we walk through this text, you will see that it is Jesus who is in control of this trial, not Pilate. I want you to see three things in our text here. First, we'll consider Pilate's dilemma. He's facing a dilemma in this text. Then, we'll look at his deflections. And finally, we'll conclude with Pilate's decision. So, Pilate's dilemma... Pilate's deflections, and Pilate's decision. Now join me as I read, beginning in verse 28, and we're going to go all the way through chapter 19, verse 16. John writes this, Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas into the praetorium, and it was early. And they themselves did not enter into the praetorium, so that they would not be defiled, but might eat Passover. Therefore Pilate went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered and said to him, If this man were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him to you. So Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him according to your law. The Jews said to him, We are not permitted to put anyone to death to fulfill the words, the word of Jesus which he spoke, signifying by what kind of death he was about to die. Therefore Pilate entered again into Praetorium and summoned Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Are you saying this on your initiative, or did others tell you about me? Pilate answered, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priest delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. 
If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Therefore Pilate said to him, So you are a king? Jesus answered, You say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I release someone for you at the Passover. Do you wish that I release for you the king of the Jews? So they cried out again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Pilate then took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head and put a purple robe on him. And they began to come up to him and say, Hail, King of the Jews, and to give him slaps in the face. Pilate came out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you so that you may know that I find no guilt in him. Jesus then came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. So when the chief priest and the officers saw him, they cried out and said, they cried out saying, Crucify, crucify. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and by that law he ought to die, because he made himself out to be the Son of God. Therefore, when Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. And he entered into the praetorium again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You do not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and I have authority to crucify you? Jesus answered, You would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. For this reason, he who delivered me to you has the greater sin. As a result of this, Pilate made efforts to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, If you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. Everyone who makes himself out to be a king opposes Caesar. Therefore, when Pilate heard this, these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. And it was the day of preparation for the Passover. It was about the sixth hour, and he said to the Jews, Behold your king! So they cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he then handed him over to them to be crucified. Let's begin with the Pilate's dilemma. And before we do, a few words about this man. Pilate was the fifth governor of Judea from A.D. 26 to 36. And from all we know from history, his tenure as a governor proved to be brutal and unstable. He was a man who did not miss opportunity to offend those whom he governed. Soon after he becoming a governor, he brought into Jerusalem some of the Roman standards with the names and the pictures of the deities, which were clearly offensive to the Jews. On one occasion, he hung golden shields with the names of Roman deities in the temple itself. From the Gospel accounts, from the Gospel of Luke, we know that there was one occasion when this same Pilate, he killed some of the Jews who were offering sacrifices, and he mixed their blood with their sacrifices, which was obviously horrible. Now, as a result of this brutality, the Jews complained to Rome again and again against him, which plays a significant part in this account. As a result of this, Pilate was on thin ice both with the Jews and with his Roman superiors. Now, Pilate's headquarters were in Caesarea, 
where he stayed usually, but because this is a Passover, because this is a celebration, and there are hundreds of thousands of people in Jerusalem, and his job was to preserve peace, he was in Jerusalem at this time. Now we've seen that having condemned Jesus with the Supreme Court of Israel, the Sanhedrin, under the leadership of Caiaphas, now these men, they bring Jesus to Pilate. According to verse 28, we read here that it is early morning. We know that Roman officials, they began their work at dawn, and they were pretty much done by noon. And so the Jews want to finish with this whole ordeal as soon as possible, with as many, as, as least of eyes looking at it as possible. They want to get this done in the morning because we read in our text here that this is a Passover day and they're about to celebrate Passover. Now we're told here in verse 28 that they brought him to Jesus, but notice that they don't go into the place where Pilate is. They do not go into the praetorium. Why not? Because they don't want to be defiled. For a Jew to enter a house of a Gentile would make you defiled, would make you unclean. And if you were unclean, you would not be able to eat the Passover. And they're eating Passover tonight. So these religious leaders, they're so concerned with being clean that they do not want to enter the praetorium. So they bring Jesus and they stand outside. Now just think about this irony here. These religious leaders, they're so concerned with their outward purity. They're so concerned with being you know, ceremonially clean. And yet at the same time, they're condemning an innocent man to death. D.A. Carson writes this. He says, the Jews take elaborate precautions to avoid ritual contamination in order to eat the Passover. At the very same time, they are busy manipulating the judicial system to secure the death of him who alone is the true Passover. Isn't it true? Isn't that what Jesus said of these, these men? Matthew 23, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tied mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these things you should have done without neglecting the others. Notice, he says, you care about seeds, you care about little things, paying tithes on those little things, and yet you're condemning innocent men to death. So when Pilate enters the praetorium, he begins to interrogate Jesus. Now we're not told exactly what happened in that exchange, but then he comes out and he declares Jesus innocent. I find no guilt in this man. Now Rome prided itself on its legal system. In fact, what we have, or maybe had, comes, goes all the way back to Rome. Because they cared about justice, they cared about punishing the wicked, and they cared about letting innocent go. And here are the Jews Here's Pilate. He shows up to work early in the morning. And here's this man. And by this time, he is beaten. He is bruised and perhaps bleeding. And he shows up and they bring him to Pilate and says, we want you to condemn this. And so his obvious question here is, what accusation do you bring against this man? Now again, no doubt Pilate is aware of who Jesus is. He definitely knows the crowd because he's been in Jerusalem probably for at least a week. You remember what happened, we just celebrated last Sunday, when Jesus entered into Jerusalem. There were crowds of people. Jesus walks into the temple, no doubt he knew about that. I mean, if you clear out the temple, everybody knows about it, including the Roman officials. Pilate knows who this guy is. And so he comes up and he says, what is it that you have against this man? By any legal standard, you need to have charges before you condemn someone. And look at the response of the Jews. It's quite astonishing. They say, if this man were not an evildoer, we would ha not have delivered him over to you. I mean, can you just like sense animosity in that answer? I mean, Pilate, what do you think? Who do you think we are? We're not playing around. No, this man is guilty. And you see, Jews hated Pilate because Pilate hated the Jews. Pilate offended them at every, ch every chance he had, he did. And so they hated this man. Now, Pilate is confused by this because, you see, he is a Roman official. And because he understands that Jews hate Romans. And why would Jews bring some kind of, some guy to a Roman official, to their court? Why can't they deal with this themselves? And basically he's saying, listen, Jews come to him and say, listen, Pilate, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to investigate anything. We already investigated everything. We already know. All we need you to do is we just need you to rubber stamp our decision. Notice, 
they're not even bringing any charges at this point. He says, no, no, this man is guilty. We did the investigation. We know that he deserves to die. And notice at first, Pilate would have none of it. Because if you look at verse 31, Pilate says, oh, you guys think you're so smart? Take him yourselves and judge him according to your law. Oh, you think you have it all figured out. You think I don't need to do any investigations. You think you already did it all. So why don't you take him yourself and deal with him yourself? Why don't you do that? Get out of here. I mean, you can sense his frustration here too. They're frustrated with Pilate. Pilate is frustrated with him because Jews, they always quibble about their law, about their traditions. And Pilate's like, man, is this another one of those cases? No, take him yourself and deal with him yourself. I want nothing to do with this. But not so fast, Pilate. Because in verse 31, the Jews said to him, we are not permitted to put anyone to death. Listen, Pilate. This is more than just an argument about some ritual or some kind of a tradition or some kind of a Jewish law. No, we're talking about a death penalty case here. Notice that Jews acknowledge that they need Pilate to approve this verdict because they can't put anyone to death because that right was taken away from them. They're under Roman occupation, and so if they were going to put anyone to death then Romans had to do it. And so that's why he says, Pilate, no, no, we can't do it ourselves. We need you. And notice John adds this, that this was to fulfill what Jesus said of his own death. In Mark 10, 31, he says, Before, Behold, we are going to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and to scribes, and they will condemn, condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him and spit on him and scourge him and kill him. And three days later, he will rise. Now it is at this point when they tell Pilate that they want Jesus dead, that they bring false charges against Jesus. If we reconcile the accounts and we bring account of Luke here, in Luke 23, 2, it says, They began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. Notice, Pilate does not care about their religious laws. He does not care about their traditions or their rituals. But Pilate cares about peace. Pilate cares about money. And Pilate cares about property. So as soon as you have someone here who is threat to Rome because they accuse him of what? Forbidding to pay taxes. Romans love their money. If you're not paying taxes, you're a problem for Rome. And notice he says he makes himself to be a king. They bring this false accusation saying that he wants to rob Rome and he wants to overthrow Rome. Now, Pilate, this is not just our problem. This is your problem. That's what they're saying. Notice Pilate is confused here because... Again, if you have a Jew who wants to overthrow Rome, do you think Jews would hand him over to Gentiles? Of course not. I mean, he would be their hero. If Messiah would come, the kind of Messiah that they wanted, the Messiah who would overthrow Rome and give him freedom, they would all celebrate, they would all gather around him. And here stands Pilate, and they're like, you guys bringing him to me because you guys care that he doesn't want you guys to pay taxes? That makes no sense. You guys say that he's, he's the king of the Jews and you're delivering your... Really? What? And so in a sense, Pilate, Pilate is confused about this. He's supposed to be your hero. And notice that once Pilate realizes that they want to kill him, he again goes back and he again interrogates Jesus. Look at verse 33. Then Pilate entered, verse 33 says, again into the praetorium. So notice he had a first conversation with Jesus, and he said, no, he, this man is innocent. I find no guilt in him. Then he goes back in, and he goes back to him, and he interrogates him again. And he says, are you the king of the Jews? I mean, literally, if you were to read this, translate this text, it says, you are the king of the Jews? Like you. You are the king of the Jews. So Pilate doesn't believe. In a sense, there is sarcasm here. There is disbelief. There is mockery here. He says, you are the king of the Jews? I mean, he cannot imagine that anyone would ever think that this guy was the king of the Jews. And Jesus answers him. Is this... Your question, or is this just an accusation that someone told you about me? You see, if Pilate is asking Jesus if he is a political king who is threat to Rome, then the answer is no. But if Pilate is asking if Jesus is a king, the answer is yes, he is. And notice, I think at this point, Pilate is stunned. 
Because no prisoner would ever have done that. I'm sure Pilate never had a prisoner who would ask him questions. Pilate's like, listen, I am the judge here. I'm, I ask questions here and you answer. And Jesus asks him questions. Are you asking me because you're interested? Or is it because they're accusing me of this? I mean, he's amazed at Jesus' boldness. And yet there is this disdain and impatience in his response. Verse 35, I am not a Jew, am I? Your nation and the chief priest delivered you to me. What have you done? And then Jesus answers again. Verse 35, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Now what's amazing here is that if you take this and compare this with all the other trials that Jesus had, this is the most conversation that Jesus has here. Because notice, he's giving Pilate all the information that he needs. The decision that he's going to make is not going to be ill-informed. He knows everything that he needs to know. And notice, just so we're clear, yes, I am a king. And just so we're clear, my kingdom is not of this world. Because if I were a king or a ruler just like you, I would have an army just like you have. And my servants would not let me be delivered to you easily as I have been. My kingdom is not of this world. And Pilate clarifies, verse 37, So you are a king. Like, really? You're, you're the king, right? You are the king. And again, Jesus responds, You say correctly that I am a king. Again, here was a man who knew full well. He had it from the mouth of Jesus. That he was dealing with an innocent man. And in this case, he says, I'm a king. And he explains why he came. He says, Pilate, just so you're not confused about this, just so you know that I am not threat to Rome the way you think I am, I have, uh, for this reason I have been born, and for this reason I came into the world to testify to the truth. And everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Now, Pilate, I know you're not interested in truth, because you're not of the truth, but I'm still going to tell you the truth. I am a king, and I have a kingdom, and my kingdom is not of this world. And notice Pilate's response. What is truth? What is truth? I mean, this, this could be a good question if it's asked sincerely. Because if Pilate could have been like, okay, you have come into this world to testify of the truth. So what is truth? Now, it's a good question to answer. What is truth? But from what we can tell from the context here, Pilate is not necessarily interested with the truth because notice, as soon as he asks, he walks out because he's not interested in an answer. Oh, your truth. You Jews have your truth. I have my truth. I mean, that's today's language, right? <laughs> what is truth? Really? Now, at this point, Pilate knows that this man is not a threat to Rome. He knows that Jesus is innocent of the charges that were leveled against him. After all, Pilate knows exactly the reason why they handed him over. Matthew tells us this in Matthew 27, 18. He knew that because of envy, they had handed him over. Pilate was well aware of who Jesus was. Pilate knows exactly what he did. In the last three and a half years, there was no other man who was so influential and so powerful in his district. I mean, he practically transformed the region. People were healed. Demon-possessed men were set free. You know, people were fed. And all the stories that we read in the Gospels, Pilate was well aware of this because this was happening in his region. He knows that the Jews are envious of Jesus because he has what they don't have. And he knows that they brought him to him because they were envious of him. And so he comes out of the praetorium and pronounces his verdict. Verse 38, he says, I find no guilt in him. Now Pilate is announcing this to a large crowd, which we can tell from this text. He knows that this will not be a popular answer. But at least as we can see this story develop here, first we can see here that he is at least concerned with justice. He knows that this man is innocent, and it's not like at this point he's trying to satisfy these Jewish leaders. No, he hates them. 
And so it is another opportunity for him to say, no, 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 I'm right, you're wrong, this man is innocent. He is not going anywhere. But not so quickly, Pilate. Notice, what I want to say here is that even though Pilate is going through this whole ordeal back and forth, trying to set Jesus free and trying to preserve himself, and he is between, he's caught between a rock and a hard place, if we read Scripture as a whole, we have to say that this could not have gone any other way. It could not have gone any other way. Everything that is happening here in our text is going according to the plan of God. Peter will preach his first sermon in Acts chapter 2. Listen to what he says regarding what we read here in John 18 and 19. Acts 2.22, men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourself know. This man, listen to this, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to the cross by the hands of godless man and put him to death. Notice everything that is happening here is going, according to Peter, according to the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. It could not have gone any other way. And yet, notice the responsibility of man. He says, you nailed him to the cross. The crowd could have said, well, you know, if it was predetermined plan, then sorry, we just played our role. No, no, you nailed him to the cross, and therefore you need to repent. So notice here, this is all going according to the plan, and yet every single person who participated in this did so willingly and made deliberate choices for which they were held accountable. And so it is with Pilate. He's making choices here, he's making decisions here, which are going according to the predetermined plan of God, and yet he's going to be responsible for those decisions. Now when Pilate comes out and he says, I find no guilt in this man. This man is innocent. This does not sit well with bloodthirsty Jews. And here's his dilemma. Here's Pilate. If you were in his shoes, here's the, here are the options that you have. You have option number one is to stand with Jesus and to continue to say that he is not guilty and to release him. Or you're going to stand with the Jews and perhaps preserve yourself. And in so doing, you would have to condemn an innocent man. Are you going to stand with Jesus? Or are you going to condemn an innocent man? That's his dilemma. You stand with justice, or are you going to commit the greatest injustice? Those are your options. Now we see his dilemma. Let's consider Pilate's deflections. Because beginning in verse 38... Pilate attempts to avoid making this decision. He does everything in his power to somehow deflect, to somehow skirt his responsibility, and to somehow push it on someone else to make that decision. You see, he knows Jesus is innocent. He knows that these religious Jews are envious and murderers. He knows that his position is at stake, and if he does not appease them, riot will break out, the word is going to get to Rome, and then... He's got problems. So he's caught between two fires. And he doesn't know which way to run. And so as we read this text, what, Paul, what Pilate does here, he's trying to grab, an every, grab at, you know, at every stride to find a way to somehow dodge this dilemma. Here's his first attempt. His first attempt at dodging this dilemma is to send Jesus to Herod. Now, although John does not mention in this text, we know that it is at this time that Pilate hears that Jesus is actually from the jurisdiction of Herod. And so Pilate realizes that, like, man, that's a great way. He's not my problem. He's Herod's problem. I don't have to make this decision. So let's get him off my books, send him over there, and good, I'm done. Sounds very good. And by the way, it's a great time, because Herod is in Jerusalem. We can just send him over to Herod. He's going to take care of this, and I'm good. He's like, man, I dodged this bullet. That's his first attempt but we know that this was short-lived because we know what happened. He goes to Herod. Herod doesn't get any answers. He mocks him. He's like, no, Pilate, you deal with this yourself. And this first attempt does not work. Here's Pilate's second attempt. And the second attempt we see in verse 39 because he says, Romans had a custom to release one prisoner 
as a goodwill gesture to the people that they were governing. I mean, we could see how this would work. So if you had a notorious prisoner, we had somebody who was taken, and he says, you know, yes, we'll rule over you. Yes, we're harsh sometimes. But on your Passover, which is the highest day for your nation, we're going to take one of your prisoners and release him to you. And so Pilate thinks like, okay, I have this opportunity. There is a chance that I have, I can release Jesus. And again, he's off my books. I don't have to deal with him. He's gone. So he says in verse 39, but you have a custom that I release someone for you at the Passover. And notice he doesn't say, hey, who do you want me to release for you? He says, do you wish then that I release for you king of the Jews? Notice he sees this as a way out. Now notice again we see sarcasm here. Because by, you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? Now Jews, I hate you. I mean, if this is your king, sure. Do you want me to release him for you? I mean, Pilate obviously doesn't believe that Jesus is the king of the Jews. But he's mocking them. He's sarcastic here. But this was a lame attempt. Because Jews were not interested in that. Jews weren't, I mean, these were the same Jews who brought him to Jesus, so that he brought him to Pilate, so that he would condemn him to death. And so now he's offering the same Jesus to the same Jews, saying, you guys want to take him? No. So what do they say? Not this man, but Barabbas. Now there's a whole story in this, which we're not going to look into. But just quickly, who is Barabbas? Now John tells us here in verse 40 that he was a robber. Mark tells us that he was insurrectionist and murderer. Matthew adds that he was a notorious prisoner. Most likely, he was a part of a rebellion against Rome in which he committed murder. And so he was taken into custody by Romans. And here, the Jews are saying, no, release this man to us. I mean, there are so many ironies in this text. I mean, here they are coming to Pilate and accusing Jesus of being an insurrectionist, right? And at the same time, they're asking for a real insurrectionist to be released. Think about this. I mean, it's not just an accident that this guy's name is Barabbas. What is Barabbas? Bar, son, Abbas, father, a son of a father. Release to us a son of a father while they're condemning the son of a father. I mean, it's amazing that Pilate could see through their hypocrisy. And this pagan, I mean, he's a pagan. And he could see what they're doing. He could see how they're manipulating the system. He can see that because of their envy, they're murderers. And they want to condemn an innocent man to death. No, we don't want this man. We don't want Jesus. We want this insurrectionist. And you would think that... Were they fans of Barabbas? No. Because people like Barabbas made their life difficult. Because Rome came down hard on anyone who revolted against their authority. And so when you had people like Barabbas revolting, it was hard for everyone because Romans were harsh. And so these Jews, they hated Barabbas as much as they hated Jesus. And yet they're still saying, no, 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 give us Barabbas. Give us Barabbas, but condemn Jesus. No, we don't know anything about Barabbas. We don't know anything about his response to this. The gospel doesn't tell us. He's mentioned, by the way, in every gospel. But perhaps of all the people that are mentioned in the account surrounding the death of Christ, no one experienced a more clear presentation of a substitutional atonement than Barabbas. Here was a man who woke up in the morning, even if he, if he slept that night, and he was slated for crucifixion. And by the end of the day, or early hours of the morning, he was a free man. You remember when Jesus was crucified? There were two guys that were crucified with him. And they were what? Robbers. And Barabbas was a robber. The cross in the middle was for Barabbas. And so Jesus, they say, no, 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 give us Barabbas. We want this man condemn Jesus. So his second attempt to resolve his dilemma does not work either. So here's his third attempt, chapter 19, verse 1. And here's his attempt. I'm going to scourge Jesus so that when I bring him out to the crowd, perhaps they will be somehow satisfied with the lesser punishment and they won't ask for me to put him to death. Look at verse 1 of 19. Pilate then took Jesus and scourged him. 
Now think about it. This is injustice. This is wrong. Notice, he did not condemn them to death. He did not say that he is guilty. He deserves punishment. No, he just declared to them that, no, this man is innocent. He has done nothing. And yet he takes this innocent man, and notice he scourged him. And not only that, verse 2 says, And the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head and put a purple robe on him. And they began to come up to him and say, Hail, King of the Jews, and to give him slaps in the face. What is scourging? Maybe you've seen Passion of Christ, which depicts that. But listen to how MacArthur describes it. It says, The victim was stripped bound to a post, and beaten by several torturers in turn. The punishment would continue until the torturers were exhausted. The commanding officers decided to stop. As was often the case, the victim was dead. The whip consisted of short wooden handle to which several leather thongs, each with jagged pieces of bone or metal attached to the end, were fastened. As a result, the body could be so torn and lacerated that the muscles, bones, veins, or even internal organs were exposed. And that's what they did to Jesus. Here's this innocent man, and Pilate says, scourge him. And not only that, notice they twisted a crown of thorns and they put it on his head. We can say that the intent was twofold. On the one hand, it is there to inflict pain because Mark adds that they're beating him with rods on the crown of thorns so that the spikes go into the skull. On the other hand, it's there to mock him because they're mocking him. Hail, King of the Jews! Notice, again, he is doing this to a man he knows is innocent. Now, when they were done, or most likely exhausted, Notice Pilate walks out to the Jews. Remember, they're standing outside. They're not going in. And he prepares the crowd for what they're about to see. Because in verse 4, Pilate came out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you so that you may know that I find no guilt in him. Notice he again reiterates that he is innocent. I find no guilt. Pilate, if you find no guilt in him, why would you do that to him? Why? Because this was his attempt to somehow satisfy the crowd so that he would not have to kill him. And then Jesus comes out. Jesus comes out wearing a purple robe and the crown of thorns. And Pilate declares, Behold the man. I mean, as if Pilate is saying, I mean, look at him. Beaten. Bleeding. I mean, he is just a man. Well, does he even look like a man now after what I've done to him? Do you still, what, else, what else do you want with this man? I mean, is this not enough? And to Pilate's dismay, it's not enough. It's not because verse 6 says, When the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify! Crucify! Now Pilate can't believe it. He can't believe it. And he says, no, take him yourself and crucify. I find no guilt in this man. I want nothing to do with this. I went this far. I shouldn't have even scourged him. But I did him for you, so somehow satisfy you. No, I'm not doing anything more. Take him and deal with him yourself. And notice verse 7, this says, no, 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 Pilate, it's not going to work like this. Because we have a law, and by that law he ought to die, because he made himself out to be the Son of God. Pilate, you think he is just a man. You just told us, behold the man. You think he's just a man. No, 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 he's not just a man. Because this man, this man that you think is just a man, no, he claims to be the Son of God. And according to our law, you claim to be the Son of God, and you die because he blasphemed. And this, at least now, they're at least somewhat honest. Because at first they brought charges against, you know, Rome and not paying taxes. But now it's getting down to the truth. No, this man claims to be the Son of God. And if until now, Pilate just wanted to escape because he wanted to somehow save his position. Now this man is terrified. Because verse 8 says, Therefore when Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. I mean, this was not a spiritual man, but this was a super, uh, superstitious man. I mean, he believed in gods, 
And here is Son of God, whatever that means to him. And I have just done that to a Son of God. No doubt gods were not going to be happy with me. He is terrified. He is afraid. And notice he runs back into the praetorium and he goes back to Jesus. He says, hey, where are you from? Where are you from? And so he's not asking, like, what territory? I mean, can I send you to somebody else? No, where are you from? You're son of God? Really? Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. His question is like, are you really what they claim you say you are? Are you son of God? Are you really from above? Now he's putting pieces together because Jesus told him, yes, I have a kingdom and my kingdom is not of this world. I am from above. And they're, now they're saying that he is the son of God. And notice Jesus gives him no answer. Why not? Because Pilate already had all the information he needed to have. I mean, Pilate is stunned at this moment. Because I'm sure he tried many prisoners. And I'm sure that every single one of them begged for release. Because they knew what crucifixion is like. They knew what that entailed. I mean, they've seen it. They walked by the crosses of criminals who carried their own crosses and were crucified. These people knew what was in store for them. And so every single one of them begged and proclaimed their innocence. And here is a man who is actually innocent. And Pilate knows that he's innocent. And he's silent. He's silent. Now notice, Jesus is in absolute control of the whole situation. I mean, you would think the roles have to be reversed. Jesus should be terrified. Jesus should be in fear. Jesus should be, you know, proclaiming his innocence and running back and forth, finding a way to get out of this. And here is Pilate trying to run and find a way. And Jesus is standing silently. That doesn't sit well with Pilate. Look at verse 10. Pilate said to him, you do not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and I have authority to crucify you? I mean, Pilate, again, he can't believe that Jesus is not answered. This is the first prisoner who's not doing, is not pleading for his release. And Pilate has a wrong view of himself here and of his own authority. His I have authority. Oh, do you, Pilate? Really? How's the authority working for you right now? How's it going for you, Pilate? No, no, you're, you're just like malleable clay in the hands of your enemies. And they will do whatever they want, and you will have no choice but to do what they tell you to do. No, no, Pilate, you are not in authority here. And that's when Jesus decides to speak. And again, he reminds Pilate who's in authority here. Verse 11, Jesus answered, You would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. Now, Pilate, you do have authority. You do have a delegated authority, and you will have to make a decision. You will not escape. You will not push this on someone else. You have authority. But that authority is granted to you. It has been given to you from above. You see, the only reason why you have this authority is because I gave this authority to you. I mean, he just understood Jesus is innocent. Then he understood that Jesus is Son of God. Then his kingdom is from above. And then Jesus says, the authority has been given to you from above. Pilate, remember that I am the one who gave you that authority. Pilate, you are committing or you're about to commit a great sin by misusing the authority that I gave you. Notice, Jesus holds Pilate accountable for his action. Because he says, for this reason, he who delivered me to you has a, the greater sin. No, Pilate, you sin. And you're about to sin even more. But those who delivered me over to you have greater sin. Because there are degrees of sin. Because the Jews who are delivering Jesus over to death, they sin against greater light. They heard Jesus preach. They understood exactly who he was. They knew it all. They blasphemed the Spirit in Matthew chapter 12. And they're sinning against greater light. And because they're sinning against greater light, their sin is greater than that of Pilate's. But notice that Pilate is not guiltless. He says, you are sinning, Pilate, because you're not upholding justice. 
because you are siding with injustice. So this attempt by Pilate to shift responsibility does not work either. And we see here in verse 12, his final attempt to resolve the dilemma. It says here, as a result of this, Pilate made efforts to release him. Now again, we're not told exactly what he's doing. I'm sure he tried every way possible to find an escape route, but to no avail. Perhaps he tried reasoning with the crowd, but verse 12 says, But the Jews cried out, saying, If you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. Everyone who makes himself out to be a king opposes Caesar. Now this is a classic case of blackmail, is it not? Oh, you think you're going to release him? You know what? We know somebody. And we can go to him. And we went to him many, many times before. And he already knows that you're a problem. But this time, heads will roll. That's blackmail. It's exactly what they're doing. Pilate, you will have serious problem because you can't keep peace. Because we will riot and there's going to be a problem. And you know what? You will have a problem. Pilate, you will lose your position. You will lose your authority. You will lose your power. You do not want to do this. And they blackmail him. And we looked at his dilemma. Looked at his deflections. Let's finally look at his decision. You see, when he hears this blackmail, his resolve to release Jesus quickly dissipated. All of a sudden, he's not so concerned with justice. He's not so concerned with Jesus because he loves his position and he loves his power too much or at least more than he loves justice. We're told here that he, Jesus is brought out again. He sits on his judgment seat. This is the time, if you reconcile the Gospel of Matthew, he washes his hands to declare his innocence. And again, this was a Jewish ritual to say that we are clean. We are innocent of the blood of a man who has died. And here he is, mocking this ritual, washing his hands when his own hands are about to sign a death verdict for this innocent man. And he takes the final opportunity to mock the Jews. Look at verse 14. Behold your king, beaten, bleeding, your king. Again, we see irony here. There is the true king who is standing there and Pilate is sitting there and passing judgment on him. When in reality, the roles are going to be reversed because he is the ultimate king who is going to pass his judgment on Pilate. The reaction of the Jews here in verse 15 reaches the fever pitch. Look at verse 15. So they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, again mockingly, Shall I crucify your king? And man, this is the most amazing statement here. The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. I mean, how envious and murderous do you have to be to say that? If you are a Jew, you say, you know, we have no king but God. Is that not what you would say? And here they are saying, no, we have no king but Caesar. No, we're aligning ourselves with Caesar. And by the way, if you align with Jesus, you've got a problem with Caesar. We have no king but Caesar. I mean, this was their final rejection of Messiah. If you read through the Gospels and everywhere in the Gospels when they you know, try to kill Jesus, where they try to mock him, where they reject him, where they reject his message. But this was this final death now. We have no king but Jesus, but Caesar. What was the result? Verse 16. So he then handed him over to them to be crucified. This was his decision. He condemns an innocent man to death to save his skin, or so he thought. Now, as we conclude, it's easy to judge Pilate. It's easy to look at him and say, man, what a weasel. 
But remember, apart from the grace of God, if it was you or I, we would be in the same shoes and we would be doing exactly the same thing. We would be in that crowd crying, crucify Him, crucify Him. Because apart from the grace of God, we are blind to our sin. Now all of this happened on the Passover to fulfill what was predicted from long, long ago. I mean, why did Jesus die in the Passover? Well, because 1,400 years before that, there was a Passover lamb who was slaughtered in order to save those who were in the house. Was it not? was. You see, this could not have happened any other way. I mean, the people could be exchanged and different people could be in their place. But this will, this would have happened one way or another. This went according to the plan of God. And the reason why I did is because it was the Father Himself who delivered His Son to death. Isaiah 53.10. You remember Isaiah 53? Famous chapter, 700 years before the crucifixion which describes exactly what happens here. Verse 10 says, But the Lord was pleased to crush him. Yahweh. The Father was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring, he will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Yes, Judas betrayed him, and he was responsible Yes, Jews delivered him to Pilate and they were responsible. Yes, Pilate condemned Jesus and he is held responsible for his decision. The Romans did crucify him and they are held guilty for what they did. But the Lord was pleased to crush him so that he would not have to crush you or me. Is that not what the story is all about? That's what this is all about. This is a sacrifice of the Son of God. Now John omits this, but in the Gospel of Matthew, Pilate asks one more question. In Matthew 27, 22, Pilate said to the crowd, Then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? Now you might say that this is the question of the ages. What shall I do with Jesus? You see, this was the question that Pilate faced. What am I going to do with Jesus? Am I going to stand with Jesus? Or am I going to condemn Jesus? And this is the question that every single person faces. Are you going to stand with Jesus? Or are you going to deny Jesus? Are you going to stand with justice? Or are you going to hold on to injustice? And you see, no matter how often you deflect this question, this question is still there for you. Until the day you die, until the day you breathe your last breath, this is the question that you need to answer. What are you going to do with Jesus? You see, if you bow your heart before Jesus, then the sacrifice that He offered on the cross is sufficient to redeem you and to save you. But you know, if you deny Jesus, then you're standing with Pilate who condemned Him to death. And the same fate that awaited Pilate awaits you. You see, when Jesus was standing there, he was standing in our place. Just like he sacrificed himself for Barabbas and Barabbas went free, those of us who trust in Christ can go free because Jesus stood in our place. Jesus is standing in Pilate's hall, friendless, Forsaken, betrayed by all. Hearken what meaneth the sudden call. What will you do with Jesus? What will you do with Jesus? Neutral you cannot be. Someday your heart will be asking, What will he do with me? You see, you either stand with Jesus or you smear Jesus. Those are your options. If you don't stand with Jesus, one day you will stand before Jesus. And that day is going to be too late. You see, for us who are redeemed and for us who get to come to this table, 
We celebrate because Jesus stood in our place. And because we believe in Him and we trust in Him, we are in Jesus. And we were condemned in Jesus on the cross. And then three days later, as we celebrate on Sunday, as we will celebrate on Sunday, we walked out of that tomb and today we live. That's what this is all about. Pilate made his choice. And unless he repented of this, which we don't know of, he is still suffering and he will suffer for it for eternity. May it not be that any one of us here who's been in church, you know, perhaps many times and heard the gospel many times, you still continue to make that same choice. Deflect somehow, oh, I'll answer that later. I'll deal with this question sometime later. No, the question is for you, what will you do with Jesus? Neutral you cannot be. Someday your heart will be asking, what will he do with me? Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, we thank you that you stood in our place that you were willing to sacrifice yourself and endure this injustice so that we would receive your mercy and grace. I pray for all of us here that we would be reminded of this and that our hearts would be filled with joy. And I pray for anyone here who has not yet truly stood with you, trusting himself or herself to you. I pray that even tonight you would graciously open their hearts that you would show how merciful and how kind you are and what it is that you've endured for them and cause them to be born again so that they may believe, trust, and obey you. Thank you, Lord, for this time in your word. For your glory we pray this. Amen.